Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And, uh, you know, throughout the week, throughout the years, we try to cover uh, all bevy of topics, but we can't get them all. And sometimes you're left with lingering questions. That's what- right. We, we get a lot of questions here, even... I mean, thank, thankfully, when we ask for them, thank you whenever we request. You are all wonderful and send us your questions. But just generally, we get questions. And so every once in a while, we try to gather up a bunch of these questions and do an episode, yeah. you know, on sort of those kind of uh, little things you wander about that aren't necessarily like a whole episode. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even you don't want to ask. You don't want to ask somebody privately. Yeah. But you do want us to you do want to read ask your pub- question. You don't want to ask privately. You do want to ask publicly. Right. It's too personal to ask privately. It can only be asked in public on a podcast. <laughs> uh, these are usually emails. But hey, we're not. You know what? We could. If you want to send it to P.O. Box 54, Huntington, West Virginia, 25706. We'll sure. Just, one day we'll do it all paper. All paper. <laughs> all postcard <laughs> correspondence. You can only send, send us your weird medical questions yeah. on postcards. That will inform the question somehow. It's a, That's the, post, it. the postcard has to loosely, like the image has the to PO loosely box relate. Will just be like, I like that challenge. I like creativity get, with with borders. Mainly, what we get now are wedding invitations and uh, high school graduation announcements, which I love. Oh, I love those. I love those. Yes, we love seeing those. Um, but yes, we're going to answer your questions as best we can. Again, as we always say, these aren't really these aren't advice. This is more These just aren't advice. No, this is just stuff you want to know about. You want advice? Go listen to my brother, my brother, and me. That's that's helpful. Well, no, it is advice. I don't think the word advice necessarily means good or bad or intrinsically how helpful it is. Hmm, I like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it just means a, something somebody tells you talking that, out of their butt <laughs> about your life. Someone's telling you how to live your life. Listen, what's our we, first question? We've spun our wheels enough. Uh, we're ready to 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 answer your queries. Hi, Sydney and Justin. I recently heard in a podcast. Wait a minute. Not ours. You listen to other <laughs> podcasts? Wow. You got a lot of brass. I wondered if it was one of your here. other podcasts. Did you say this on one of your other podcasts, maybe? That is possible. It is possible I did that. Yes. Okay. What it, well, go ahead. Finish the question. I recently heard in a podcast that if you cut off a limb... Slash extremity, you should put or rinse it in milk before promptly taking yourself to the ER. That sounds bad and fake. And when I try to Google it, I don't get anything from reputable sources. Love the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to read this. 
and for making such great content. Have a nice day. That's from Artie, they, them. Artie, I'm hurt because I don't recognize that advice, but... Uh, I've heard this before. Have you heard this? Yeah, this, this, this is, is not... Artie, you are not the first person to to bring us, not us, I should say, to, to ask this question. Um, I've had patients ask me. I've heard this sort of like folk wisdom that you're supposed to... Specifically, what I had always heard was tooth. If a tooth is knocked out, okay. not like your baby teeth. Charlie just lost her first tooth. Oh, it's so it cute. Adorable. She looks so grown so up. But yeah. uh, anyway, if, if like one of your grown up teeth are are knocked out or pulled out or removed for some reason, that you're supposed to put it in milk until you get to the ER. This is actually not true, I, but it is very common. I don't know if people think that because of the calcium. I don't know where that comes from. And I've certainly, I haven't heard limb, but either way, um, no, that is not, <laughs> that is not recommended. Uh, if it is a limb, and I mean, I'm assuming we're talking like a finger or a toe, probably not a whole arm or leg in this case. Um, yeah. Because you got bigger issues than what do you do with the arm or the leg. You I bleed. feel like job one has to be. Let's get to the hospital. Well, that's, if you have so, a nearby friend that can get the arm and isn't like, ew, 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 like I might. Yes, be. get to the hospital. Get to the hospital. Put, so here's what you want to do. First of all, stop the bleeding. Whatever is bleeding, you need to apply direct pressure. Take whatever measures necessary to stop the. That is that is like number one. Obviously, you're hopefully already on the phone with nine one one. You know, calling for help. Um, take. Let's say it's like a finger. That's probably the most common thing, right? You might do that in your workshop. Please no, don't. I won't. Ever. Please what? don't. Why would you put that evil on me? <laughs> I'm not. I'm just saying, like, you can see a lot of circumstances where someone might accidentally cut off a finger. You said you. <laughs> you looked at me in I the just eyes you and do, said you. you. Do don't act like you were using, like, anyway, the general you. You want to, um, if you want to rinse the extremity briefly in water, and maybe this is where the milk comes in. If it's a tooth, if you feel the need to rinse it in milk, I guess you could rinse it in milk. Water, it's just fine. Don't scrub it. Don't do anything like that. You'll damage the tissues. Um, rinse it. And then if it's a finger or a toe or whatever, you want to keep it cold. Don't put it directly on ice. So don't like put it in a bag with ice cubes because mm -hmm. you don't want the the extremity <laughs> to come into contact with the ice. Like put it in something and then put it and then seal that. Like put it in a bag, seal that, and then put that in a bag of ice. Because the ice is dirty. Well, no, it's that the ice could damage the blood vessels and the tissues. Okay, got it. With direct content, so right. or direct contact. So, uh, you if you have some like gauze or something to wrap it in, that's probably a good idea. Put it in a bag, put it on ice, the bag on ice. Take it with you. Keep it with you. Don't give it to your friend because you guys might get separated. An ambulance, whatever. Keep it pin on it, your person. Pin it to your shirt. <laughs> so keep the extreme. If it's a tooth, you could rinse it and actually put it back in the socket. Is a good place to store it until you get to the ER. Um, or, or even this sounds like a choking hazard to me, but I've heard some dentists recommend like put it between your, um, gum and your cheek, like keep it there like a gumball. I don't like that. <laughs> um, I don't like that. Oh God. That to get sucks. it. And you want to get there as soon as possible. If you're, uh, no kidding. <laughs> if your eye pops out of its socket, which it wouldn't like completely come out cause it's attached. But like if your eyelid is behind your eyeball because of some sort of injury, don't poke it back in. Just go to the ER. Um, 
And it always helps if it's like, <laughs> if it's an, I mean, obviously if it's an extremity, you're not going to call ahead and be like, hey, we're on our way to the ER. I've cut my arm off. Um, you're just going to get there. But if it's something like your tooth or your eye, it might help to call and say, I'm on my way and this is the issue so that they can get the appropriate consultant on call like there. Got it. But milk does not need to be part of the equation. Okay. <laughs> that was a long one. So gross. <laughs> Hi, Sydney and Justin. I'm Laura from Brazil. And every time you guys do one of these Q&As, I remember something that happened to me back in 2017. Out of the blue, one day after I showered, I noticed my chest and back were covered in red spots that didn't even itch. I went to a dermatologist and they told me it was... You want to try it? Pityriasis rosacea? rosacea? Close. Pityriasis rosacea? Pityriasis rosacea. Pityriasis rosacea. Pityriasis rosacea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I'd just have to live with it for a few months and it would go away. So I wanted to ask, what's up with that? Why does it happen? Why did it take so long for my body to decide I wasn't actually a Dalmatian? That's a, it's a good question because this rash is actually somewhat common, completely benign. I had a friend who got it in med school, a friend in med school who got it while we were in med school. And um, she thought it was incredibly cool, except hers itched. <laughs> and oh. then she did not think that was cool. Um, that's what, that, When you're a med student, that's what you think. Like, oh my gosh, I got that thing I read about. That's so cool. Especially when it's, I mean, when it's benign, you know. Anyway, it is a self-limited rash. We, we think it's caused by a virus. There's been some studies that suggest it's caused by one of the herpes viruses. There are lots and lots of herpes viruses. Um, but the, not every time that they've biopsied one of the the rash lesions, have they always shown this virus? So it's, we're not for sure. We think it's related to a virus. Basically, you get what's called a herald patch, which is a like two to five centimeter little salmon colored oval patch, usually on your trunk or um, like your chest or your back or something, somewhere like that. And then yeah. after a few days or weeks, you get more um, on your trunk and chest and then eventually on your like proximal extremities, which means like your the ar- parts of your arms and legs closest to your body, generally. Okay. It Sometimes it's called a Christmas tree rash because it has like a sort of vaguely Christmas tree pattern on your back or chest. Okay. It goes away on its own. It can take up to two to three months. Like I said, it's usually triggered by some kind of virus. You don't know that you had a virus, though. A lot of people don't have any symptoms. Sometimes they'll say like, I think I had a headache and a sore throat a few days before. Um, sometimes they itch, other times they don't, and you really don't have to do anything. Um, if they're really bothering you or they're really itchy, they can prescribe like topical steroids for them. But a lot of the time it's just, just a weird thing that happens and then goes away. Thank goodness. Wow. Okay. Well, good to know. I'm one of those people who have a lot of moles on their skin. Uh, I mostly made my peace with that, but not, but not with the long dark hairs that often grow out of these moles. What the heck causes this? I feel like the crone from Snow White. Please help. Uh, I, I like this question because I used, this was one of the things that I read about <laughs> in med school to try to figure out too. Um, it's not that moles grow hairs. The cluster of cells that make a mole are just a cluster of melanin producing cells, melanocytes. Mm-hmm. That's a pigment, right? That gives skin darker color. Yes. And that's, you know, that's what makes moles or freckles or skin generally a darker tone. Um, if you have a little cluster of those and there's a hair follicle there, mm-hmm. a hair will still grow from that hair follicle. But the presence of that pigment, that melanin, will make the hair that grows there darker, darker and a little coarser than the hair surrounding it. So it will look like the mole is growing an especially dark, coarse hair, but actually that hair was going to grow there one way or the other. The melanin has just changed what the hair looks like. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It reminds me of, um, did you know this fact, polar bear's fur is transparent. I, d- I don't think I knew that. Kind of like the same kind of deal. Wow. That is interesting. Yeah, I read about it. Somebody subscribed the girls to this magazine called Ranger Rick. And they subscribed our P.O. box to it. We like that that so, a so lot. Every once in a while, this Ranger Rick magazine shows up. And love it. And we learn things. We um, learn things. If it really bothers you, it's okay to pluck it. It doesn't bother me. You shouldn't pluck a polar bear's fur. No, no, no. Not a po- Please don't pluck polar bears. I mean, if you have a hair coming out of a mole and it's really bothering you. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't bother you, that's fine, too. You can leave it be. Uh, if I take two Tylenol pills instead of one, does it last twice as long or work twice as well? Would this go the same for other OTC pain relievers? This is so weird, Sydney. This is like a backdoor combo. Sawbones, uh, classic Sawbones overlap. Yeah. Because in our last episode, when we were talking oh, that's about true. this exact uh, issue came up. It's uh, well, I think it hits on. We we've talked about this before, or I've talked about this recently with you and with some other people. Have asked me about like dosing of cold medicine has been a question. Um, and you asked me this recently about an allergy medicine. Yeah. Can I take more of it? So well, it's because Charlie was taking the same dosage of uh, Claritin that you and I are, mm-hmm. and that just seemed wild to me. And what what we know about medicines is that there is an effective dose. And if you take less than the effective dose for you, and I mean, you can look on the package. Sometimes it's age-based. Sometimes it's weight-based. Um, there are other things if it's a prescription medicine that your doctor may be making the decision based on kidney function, liver function, et cetera. But the point is you need to take the effective dose for you for it to work with a Tylenol, it, it really depends on, because there are different strengths of Tylenol, um, if you're not taking, it, it doesn't necessarily work better. If okay. you take more of it, you need to take enough of it to have the effect you need it to have. So, and once you hit that maximum f- effective dose, after that, the reason we don't take even more and get more effect and make it last even longer is because uh, there's a certain point at which the medicine just, it's doing all it can do in your body. It's a... It's interacting with all the enzymes or receptors or whatever it is supposed to do. Okay. It's doing all that it can, and taking more of it won't change that. It may just give you more side effects, which is why we have those maximum doses. So taking two instead of one Tylenol, depending on the dose, may provide more pain relief. Um, but if you're already taking the maximum effective dose of Tylenol, it won't do anything other than cause more side effects. So that's why it's really important to look at the dosing. Don't... And, and don't just take one thinking, well, I'll be safe. And t-. I'm like, look and see what actually works. Because I always hate when, you know, somebody is taking a medicine and, you know, every medicine has side effects, but they're not actually taking enough for it to do anything. You know, you want to take enough that it has the effect you need it to have. Yeah. Okay. Um, good to know. Hey, Sydney and Justin. My question, please, it's Dr. McElroy. Please. Mm. My question is about the medical field folks who are also influencers. Like yourself. I don't, is that me? And myself. <laughs> Do you think it's ethical to share stories about patient encounters for the sake of entertainment? Like sometimes I see stories where nurses or doctors are talking about embarrassing patient situation in a mocking or joking way. And I think to myself that if that was me, I'd feel pretty terrible, even though my personal health information is being protected. Do you think that HIPAA will be updated in the future to include vague posting about patients? Love you guys and all that you do. I want to be y'all when I grow up. Abby. Very sweet. Thank Thank you for that, Abby. I think this is a really important question to ask because I've seen this too. 
Um, I won't say that I necessarily, I mean, I guess it's okay to say, I have reported some that I felt were, I, well, I mean, I felt that they <laughs> were over the line. That's extremely on brand for you. I felt I like it was unprofessional and it betrayed the confidence of the patient, even though, so, okay, I guess what we're going to talk about are two different things. There's the legal part of this question and the, the, there's the ethical part of this question. Legally, if you're going to talk about patient information, you need to de-identify it. You need to make it so that there would be no way, based on what I'm telling you, that you could ever figure out who the heck I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not that hard to do. I mean, it's very easy to do that. And, you know, there are certainly times where once you've de-identified that information, it is valuable to share. For instance, sometimes I will ask a patient, can I present, you know, your medical case, you as a case report, to my students or my residents. I think that this is a good learning case and that there's some, you know, new doctors could learn to be better doctors from what you have experienced. And in that educational setting, that's totally appropriate. You get permission, you present the information, you still don't give names, you know, or any sorts of identifiers other than, you know, it's usually like an age and maybe gender and that's it. This is like when I had a GI bug last week and you were like, you're actually the sickest anyone has ever been. Mm. I would love to present this case because of no. how inspirational your story is <laughs> and how brave, what a brave no. boy you're being. No. You're well. Something along those lines. And certainly this is done in like research papers, right? Like there are lots of published journal articles, case reports, things where they use patient case histories and stories de-identified again. And that's okay. Um, ethically and legally, you get permission. You make sure and remove anything that would make the patient known. Um, legally, it would be pretty easy to do that. I think that the problem – now, let me say even with that, it would still poss be possible without using someone's name to give somebody away, depending on where you live, how so small the town is. I was treating this guy in the Oval Office and uh... – <laughs> Well, or even, I mean, if you live in a small enough area, it would not be hard, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. so there's still ways that that could be problematic. But let's say that they're doing it in a way that legally is okay. Okay. Then you get to the ethics of it. Yeah. And ethically, I mean, if we're talking about the oath that I took, there is no circumstance in which you can just share patient stories for entertainment value, period. Mm -hmm. Now... I would say the professional standards of all of the other healthcare professions other than, you know, I, I am a doctor. I would say it's pretty much the same. Why would you, you know, we share stories about our patients to um, for a consultant who needs that information so that they can take care of them too. We share those stories with students and residents so that they can learn from them and become better at their trade. But why would I share, especially if it's because I think it's funny or embarrassing I mean, there. if you want to look at the ethics of it, the answer is no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do it. I feel like we've probably shared some stories of uh, ancient patients here on this show for entertainment value. We've probably run afoul of that if you open the scope up to – Like Alexa St. James. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Alexa St. John, I think. No, St. Martin. You know, Austin St. John was the power William ranger. Beaumont. Oh, my God. William – Beaumont, go ahead. I'll I'll come up with it. Uh -huh. And Alexa Saint Martin. Alexa you Saint had, Martin. Yeah, I had right. I had it in there. Okay. Anyway, um, I was well, yeah. Now, now to be fair, like William Beaumont wrote a whole book about that. I mean, okay. I'm just saying, Sydney. <laughs> but, 
Careful and like named him. Careful of your glass house. No, I'm. I am saying that like I will say things, and I have said this on the show, so you can hold me to this. Where I will say I have seen patients um, use this folk remedy before. I have encountered this condition before. I have had patients ask me this question before. And I think when you're using those sorts of general things, that's different than what I believe Abby is asking with this question. Because right, I know I what you're talking about. I've seen these same posts. I was and being it's I, I, I had this patient today who did the grossest thing or said the worst thing, or can you believe this embarrassing story that someone told me today? And those, I mean, I, people get in trouble for them. That's the other part of this. Those people do get in trouble. Um, because I've, Sydney I've, reports them. <laughs> well, I don't call their boss. I just think, like, it's unprofessional behavior for, I mean, they take those down. Like, yeah. they don't, I mean, if you if they find those, they'll take them down because um, it violates their professional standards. And a lot of people, I mean, I've seen the TikToks where people do get fired for this stuff because um, they shouldn't do it. Because uh, exactly like you said, what if that's you? And what if you're scrolling through TikTok and you see a nurse, a doctor, a you know, physical therapist, whatever, a healthcare professional who's entrusted with your secrets, this sacred thing, your body, your health, and you see them telling your story and laughing about it. Yeah, it's terrible. That would be a terrible feeling. And so I think I think that there has to be a line there. Uh, here's a line here. Okay. Right here. It demarcates the difference between the first portion of the episode and, and then the part after we go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the Easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. 
I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, And the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Well, Manolo, we have a show to promote. It's called Dr. Game Show. It's a family-friendly podcast where listeners submit games and we play them with callers from around the world. Oh, sounds good. New episodes uh, happen every other Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. It's a, it's a fast and loose oasis of absurd innocence and naivete. And Are you writing a poem? No, and just saying things from my memory. And uh, it's a nice break from reality. <laughs> Is that, are we allowed to say that? I don't know. It sounds bad. It comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. It does not. <laughs> Come for the games and stay for the chaos. I'm looking to get a hysterectomy soon, and I'm looking for the lowest prices. Work? No, that's not what it no. says. <laughs> I want it done on the cheap, and I want it done quick. That, no. That's the American medical system right there. I'm looking to get a hysterectomy soon where only my uterus is removed, and I learned that while I will obviously no longer have my uterine wall shedding monthly, my ovaries will continue to release eggs until I hit menopause. Where will the eggs be going? Are they just vanishing into my bloodstream? Are the eggs going to build me a new organ to bleed out of every month? (laughs) What the heck are these eggs planning? That's from Hysterical in the Fun Way in, well, it's L.A. I guess it could be Los Angeles or Louisiana. Either way, don't worry. No matter which (laughs) Don't worry. The eggs are released into the pelvic cavity and harmlessly resorbed into your body. It is fine. There is no problem. They Great. just get resorbed. Great. It's a good question, though. I bet a lot of people now after after hearing that are going, "Yeah, where do yeah, they go?" Yeah, Don't you I... do release them, and they just they just yeah. get resorbed. Okay, well, that's easy. Nothing hey, to worry about. Is it true you can get a UTI or UDI? <laughs> Nobody from, calls them UDIs from your body. Just deciding it hates a certain brand of lube or condom. Why do UTIs suck so much? Sorry if you answered this before. Love you guys and the show, Tasha. So um, you can't I, – I think this is always an important thing to talk about because I, I talk about like I, – I like issues that have to do with UTIs, sexual health, um, any any vagina havers, va- you know, vagina health. I think that these are important things to talk about because for so long we haven't talked openly enough about them. And so you get these sort of like correlation but not causation kind of ideas about things. Yeah. Um, so you you can't get a UTI per se from a new brand of lube or condom because a UTI is bacteria that infects the urinary tract, the urethra, the bladder, no the kidneys. To think that would be in a lube. 
Right, right. It shouldn't be. Um, also. <laughs> but what what can happen, depending on uh, if you've tried a new brand of lube, condom, um, underwear or tampon or anything down there that might change the pH of that area that might cause some irritation. So let's say you use something that caused a little bit of um, irritation either because, you know, your skin didn't like it, it reacted to it, or if we're just talking about like friction, yes, any sorts of irritation around the urethra um, can leave it a little more vulnerable to infection. And so if you're talking about those kind, that might be the association that you would see. Um, but they shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't get a UTI. You can't get a UTI directly from the condom from the lube. That is part of why it's recommended to void after, you know, penetrative sexual intercourse. And as far as why do UTI suck so much? Man, I don't know. They do, though. All I can do is empathize with you. I've had them. They do suck. Uh, I was wondering what happens to germs after you use hand sanitizer. I know it kills them, but are the dead germs still on your hands? <laughs> that seems like they're just like looking at their hands like, whoa, wait a minute. What happened to all the germs? I guess, yes. I've never thought about it, but the dead germ pieces are still on your hands. The way that it works is the... Uh, Typically, the alcohol component of the hand sanitizer dries out and, you know, explodes, ruptures, destroys, dries out all those little germs on your hands. And uh, then they're just sort of, the pieces are just left there. But it's harmless now because it's been dried out and killed by the, <laughs> by the alcohol, there which is also it. why it's a good reminder when you use hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer, you put it on, you rub it all over, and then you wait for it to dry. Don't touch anything. Don't do anything until it's dried. Um, it's the same thing like if you're using an alcohol swab to clean an area before you, I don't know, check a sugar or have to, you know, use a needle there or something. Um, wait for it to dry before you actually stick the needle in there. Thank you to Bahia for that uh, truly, truly thought-provoking uh, uh, query. I, I knew the answer, but I ge I genuinely have never yeah, really thought about, thought it. about it before. <laughs> uh, hi there. I don't know if you've already answered this before, but when it came to mind since today, it's a nice balmy 26 degrees Fahrenheit. Why is it when you're cold, your teeth clatter? Thanks for taking the time to read this. Love the show y'all do. It's good background noise as I crochet. Um, this, I got this one. Okay. Let me do this. Okay. Okay. Is your body is trying to like move mm -hmm. to get some heat going. So you're like moving the cells around and you're moving your mouth around. It's clattering. Please don't roll your eyes kind of. No, no, I'm listening. Well, I'm, you're giving me I'm like considering. a. You're giving me like a, a sort of like sort of how a very intelligent warthog would explain it, I guess. But um, yeah, so that's it's your body like trying to move to generate heat. So uh, it's like your teeth, you're shivering, uh -huh. so your teeth clatter, uh -huh. and the shivering makes your body generate heat because you're shivering. Yes. That is, I mean, that is it. Your teeth clatter because you're shivering, and the shivering is good for you. Shivering is wild. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about it enough. That's it, wild. Your muscles are all rapidly contracting and relaxing in an attempt to generate heat, and it works. Do you know how much it works? How much? 500% more heat can be generated That's from visible wild. shivering. Hey, hey, everybody, bodies are so weird. Do you know how wild it is that your body's like, well, I'm getting pretty cold. I better make this person shake. I'm just going to shake mm -hmm. myself make you involuntarily shake. to generate some heat. It's wild. Yeah. 
We should have more self-defense mechanisms. I guess we have lots of them. Don't we we do. We have lots of them. We have lots. It's a wild one. It's it's pretty cool. Um, it's so it's a good that, thing. I mean, it doesn't evolved. feel good. Do you do you realize that that had to be evolved? That means one day some cave people were standing around and they're like, "What is Paul doing?" <laughs> hey, Paul. What are you doing? Are you doing that on purpose? Stop are you it. you doing that on purpose? Stop oh, it. I can't. Hey, Paul, and another thing. Yeah, and then everybody dead. else froze to death. Dead. Yeah, Frozen and Paul was fine. And you'll keep shivering until either you get out of the cold or you run your muscles run out of glucose to do it. And then they can't. That's not good. I'd get out of the cold at that some, point. Or get some glucose, I guess. Well, I'd be, I mean, I if you have the ability, I would get warm where does the vaccine live in your body is it at the injection site i've heard the vaccines delivered under the tongue or as nasal sprays can be better because that's where the immune response takes place if it does stay at the injection site what would happen if i had that arm amputated <laughs> that's from kevin uh the vaccine does not stay at the injection site once it is taken in um by your body taken up by your cells it is you know, transmitted through the bloodstream all over the place. Um, it gets to all of your lymph nodes. It gets to everywhere where you can, that's where you can make, you can produce your immune response in your lymphatic system. So it gets taken up there and it's all over your body pretty quickly. Like it's spreading very fast. So I, I think this is an interesting thought exercise. So it doesn't live anywhere per se in your body. It goes to all of your, you know, your lymphatic system where mm -hmm. you can start producing an immune response, antibodies and B cells and T cells against whatever virus you've been immunized against. The pieces of the vaccine, by the way, poof, your body destroys them. They learn what they need to learn and then it all goes away. Crazy. Yeah. So all that part just gets resorbed by your body and is gone. So like the whole idea that the mRNA or the lipid layer around it lives in your body. No, it's all gone after it's done what it's supposed to do. Um, how quickly would you need to amputate an arm <laughs> before it could get to your immune system? I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting thought exercise. Like, you if, get if the about second you injected the vaccine, somebody whacked your arm Speaking off. Speaking of detoxing the vaccine, I guess that's what I'm I don't know why you're doing it, though. Detoxing the vaccine. Um, I mean, I guess there is uh, certainly there is a time that that would work, right? Like, because it's not instantaneous, it doesn't instantly. Yeah, appear everywhere in your body all at once. This is, um, but we don't we don't need to know this. No, there is no reason to, no to reason consider to that. This. I just thought it was a thought exercise, but it's no, it's, it doesn't no live in your arm. You can't get rid of it once it's in there. You can't detox from it, and you don't want to because it's going to protect you from serious illness and death. Ah, here she goes again. All this vaccine stuff. <laughs> Last September, two days after getting my flu shot, I came down with bad gastroenteritis that lasted about a week. I have no idea if it was food-related or a side effect of the vaccine, though I've never had such a bad reaction. It made me wonder, how effective is a vaccine if you're sick with an unrelated illness right after you get it? Would a weakened immune system that your body doesn't affect mean that your body isn't effectively learning how to fight the actual flu? Do I need to get a second dose? That's from Stomach Troubles and Silver Spring. No, the good news is that, well, first of all, whether or not this was a side effect of the vaccine – I wouldn't think so. It would be a very unusual. You know, that's not listed in the the very the more common mm -hmm. side effects. So I I wouldn't think it was the vaccine. I would say it was probably just bad luck. You mm -hmm. got a GI bug soon after you got a vaccine. Um, that being said, it will not change at all your ability to react to the vaccine. You should still be just fine. Our bodies are amazing in that we can ramp up immune responses to multiple things uh, when our immune system is intact. 
And so there's no reason to think that just because you got a GI bug after you got a vaccine that it isn't working, it isn't protecting you, or that you necessarily need to get a second dose. Hello. This might seem like a silly question, but can a uterus turn inside out? I vaguely remember watching some show, ER or Grace, when I was in middle school, and the episode a woman delivered twins and then her uterus turned inside out and then she died. Smile, frowny face. Uh, I know not to, I'm not laughing at anything but the frowny face. That just, str- just struck me as, as, as funny. Sure. Uh, I know not to put much stock in the accuracy of TV dramas, but the idea has always kind of haunted me, popping back up whenever I have particularly bad menstrual cramps. So is such a thing possible? Thank you, Megan. Yes, an inverted uterus uh, is a complete uterine inversion, I should say, is something that can happen. Um, that being said, I, I do want to reassure Megan and anyone else who has bad menstrual cramps and might hear that. Uh, it is not something that would happen spontaneously. That is not the reason it happens. General, uh, generally, this is only something that would be related to a delivery. So in the example you gave, I don't think I've ever seen that episode, but um, somebody who just had twins – and then had a uterine inversion, that could happen. Um, There are multiple reasons why that might happen during a delivery. All of them are sort of something gone wrong. It's Mm -hmm. not just part of the process. (laughs) This isn't just part of delivering a baby. This is the result of a problem that has occurred. A natural, beautiful part of the... No, no, but it is exactly how you've described. The uterus basically turns inside out in the birthing process. This is, again, an uncommon thing, very uncommon it is an emergency and does need to be fixed immediately because it can cause a lot of bleeding. Um, and so it is It is possible that you could die of this if it is not managed immediately. Now, as long as you are somewhere where you have access to immediate medical care, um, a doctor who knows what they're doing, or an OR if necessary, it can be fixed and, you know, it does not need to be fatal. But it is a— uh, It's not good. No, it is it is an uncommon but catastrophic event when it occurs. Feels like this could be learned about in a much more subtle way than an email with my actual real name to a very popular podcast, but here we are. I have a question about my body that I'm not sure if it belongs with Sawbones or MBMBAM. How come I sneeze when I get horny? It's almost like a reaction to it, and it's exclusively when I'm thinking about being intimate with someone I care about rather than, say, looking at porn. It happens once, maybe twice, and then I just carry on. (laughs) I don't know what else you could do. (laughs) And then I die from it because I'm so horny I die from it. And thankfully, it's not like snotty. I also sneeze when I look at bright lights, which I know other people get and might be relevant, but I've obviously never broached this question with others about this particular reaction. reaction. Sorry, I misread. Thanks. Nasal in Nottingham. That's right, Nasal in Nottingham. We've protected your identity. I, uh, I love this question. I doxed you. I love these kinds of questions. These are these are for me like the heart and soul of these episodes are questions that are this is something that is completely benign in the sense that like you're gonna be okay. Now I'm not saying it might not be very annoying or frustrating for someone who has it, but it just speaks to how amazing but also just weird and weird. sometimes inconvenient the human body can be just like gosh why there's an inconvenient truth when i sneeze i get horny or do you does sneezing no it's make not you when you horny? no it's not sneezing makes you horny it's when you get horny you sneeze what this you need to find thing. is two people who have who have those interlocking things when you get horny you sneeze 
and sneezing makes you horny. Oh. And you have those two people get together. This is a very graphic interlocking you're showing me while we're doing this. It's two fingers kind of meeting. You can imagine two fingers on each Mm -hmm. hand. They're kind of... Uh, I'm just saying anyway, it would be nice if they could meet. Simulated finger seem, sex acts aside. seems romantic. Um, sexually induced sneezing is a thing. Okay. This is a known entity. There are case reports of it dating back to 1875. There have been doctors going, someone told me the strangest thing today. <laughs> See, and these are published case reports. So these are okay ways to okay, convey yes. medical information. Sexually induced sneezing is a thing. Mm-hmm. Sneezing induced sexing, not as far not as that we I'm, know. Not that I know of. Okay. Um, and th- these cases have varied from people who sneeze while engaging in the sexual act upon orgasm. There are some people who, upon orgasm, will sneeze repeatedly, uh, or simply thinking about a sexual act. So sexual arousal. You know, th- like you said, thinking about having sex with someone. Um, it could be in some people from watching porn or reading sexually exp- explicit material. Um, it may have a genetic component. There is some thought that maybe there is some sort of gene, and and I'll get to why in a second. But uh, it is probably related to just sort of a a strange wiring of the autonomic nervous system. Our autonomic nervous system is. It's old and it's weird. It's one of the... It's old? <laughs> it's, well, you know, when you talk about, like, the how did humans evolve, the autonomic nervous system is one of the earlier things. Um, and it's just, it's old and it's weird uh, how some things were connected in, like, the early life forms that would eventually beget humanity. Um, and they never quite became disconnected, even though they have nothing to do with each other anymore. So is it possible that there are pathways that connect your nasal tissue mm-hmm. with your pelvic organs. Yeah, I mean, the, not, not directly. I don't mean like there's a string connecting a, your nose to your penis. Yeah. But I mean like something that, like some wiring where when one gets activated, a nerve down there gets activated and vice versa. Yeah, that can, that can happen and does. Um, there is a whole article about this. Uh, that I did find sneezing induced by sexual ideation or orgasm, an underreported phenomenon by uh, Mahmoud Bhutta. So if you are interested, you could look up this whole article and read it. It's I, I, I found it for free on the internet. You can read it and learn more about your own condition because it's mainly from case reports. It's not thought to be dangerous in any way. Um, and it can, uh, from what I've read, it can be improved with like a nasal decongestant, something like Afrin. I'm not, I'm not paid by Afrin, but that's the most common of those I think people know, um, which I wouldn't advise using a lot of. We've talked about that on the show before. Right. But if you needed to use it prior to sex <laughs> um, to avoid sneezing when you orgasm, there is some thought that perhaps that could help with it, um, although I, I don't know for sure. Uh, it, and as you said, there is something similar to that in the photic sneeze reflex, which is sometimes called autosomal dominant compelling helioophthalmic outburst or achu stop it Guys, syndrome i twitch i try which to is when you sneeze people, when you look but... at bright lights specifically sunlight but any kind of bright light um and it could affect as much as 24% of people it's just we don't you don't tell your doctor about it i mean most people don't think to like make an appointment so they can go say 
you know, like three weeks ago, I looked at the sun and I sneezed. What's that all about? And if and honestly, like I, I could say in the middle of a busy day, if somebody told me that, I'd be like, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's actually. <laughs> but a- you did cut your finger off and you put it in a bag of milk. And I'd really like to address that first. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually in um, that episode, The Nightcrawlers, uh, Pete and Pete. Remember? Uh, oh, yeah. When they're all trying to stay up late. And I think it's. There, one of a, them, one of them, I figure, I, fi- I, I think it's Libby, one of the the girls in the Nightcrawlers. When she looks at the sun, it makes her sneeze, and that keeps her up. And then th- that eventually is a very, the sun goes behind a tree, and she falls asleep. That is a very well documented syndrome. Many people do have it. Again, it's, it's benign; not well it documented. just makes you sneeze. It's poorly documented because part of the documentation was calling it achoo. <laughs> do you know how long those nerds must have high fived each other? Like we did it. And so that's, like, did it. It's so funny. That is part of why we think it's probably one. This other condition may also be genetic because this um, achu is. And two, this is also theorized to be some sort of wiring issue. And I don't even want to say like miswiring or whatever. Who knows? I mean, it, sometimes maybe everybody we, else is weird. <laughs> well, maybe there's a good reason. Think about this. It's not good for your eyes to stare directly at the sun. We all know that, right? Right. And what happens when you sneeze? You st- you close you your eyes. Close your eyes. Think there about it. Is. it. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> maybe okay. maybe these are evolutionary advantages that we just we don't even understand. The case, human body is so much more complex than we give it credit. Case closed, and also episode closed. Thank you for uh, listening to our podcast. Uh, it's called Sawbones. Uh, listen, we're coming up on, it's almost time for that special time of year, Candle Nights, which may have already begun or it may be over. It's different for everybody, so you really need to look into your heart and see. But I will say, if you want to watch a Candle Nights video special, okay? I'm so proud of this. Yes, it is. Our virtual Candle Nights special is going live December 18th. At 9 p.m. is a pre-taped video spectacular benefiting Harmony House. Tickets are on sale now for just $5, and there is an option to give more. So if you can, for Harmony House, uh, please do that. It is, as Sydney will attest, a wonderful organization. bit.ly forward slash Candle Nights 2021. That's a VOD. They'll be available f- until January 2nd. There's segments from um, uh, my brother, my brother, me, Sawbones, Schmanner's wonderful, still buffering, neat. Uh, the Sawbones, I just finished. If you've been follow- following the Medicine Called Christmas saga. Um, There's a whole new chapter for you. It's a whole you. new chapter, and it's like 15 minutes long. It's, we worked way too hard on it. I wrote, I wrote parody songs again, so that's back up in there for still buffering. And um, Harmony House is a wonderful organization that really uh, – it all through the pandemic has continued to do amazing work and serve our community, people facing homelessness and um, really needs as much support as we can give. So if you're able to, uh, it really means the world to us and to this wonderful organization. Bit.ly forward slash channel nights, 2021. That's going to do it for us. Oh, thanks to the taxpayers. for their song medicine says the intro. Thanks to you for listening. We love you. That's going to do it for us. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.